Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I love the classic Spielberg wonder in this. He has such an unreal way to get wondrous stuff happening on the screen, whether it's, you know, Alan Grant in, in Jurassic Park seeing the dinosaurs for the first time or oh. Indy discovering where the tomb is. Like, he's so good at nailing that. And the imagery of the World War II planes and the boat and then, the, you know, the ending, the spaceships, the design. I mean, it just, it has not dated at all. It looks flawless. The bright geometric shapes of the, of the ships flying around the Indiana desert. All of that was unreal. What I liked less, was how they spent the majority of the time essentially following a dad who has, has a full-on breakdown and leaves his family to run away with aliens. Hello, film fans. Thanks for listening today. Joining us today, we have Paul. Hello. Ben. Hi there. And Kobe. Hello. And we're here to review Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Director's Cuts. Thank you as always to the mighty people for the mighty, mighty tunes. And thanks to Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. Please do remember to write a review and rate us on Apple Podcasts and anywhere you can do where you listen to the podcast because it really does help us. And you can join in the conversation with us on Twitter at FlixWatcherPod and on Instagram at FlixWatcher. Hello film fans. In the Flixwatcher remote recording studio today, we have Paul and Ben. If you could please say hi to the listeners and tell them a little bit about the podcast you do, please. Yeah, so uh, my name's Ben. I am a cinema manager by day, by night. Uh, my alter ego of annoying podcaster who decided starting a podcast during lockdown like everyone else was a good idea, but actually it's, it's all right. Um, and that's when I do Have You Seen This with my fellow co-host Paul. Hello, yes, uh, as, uh, I'm also a cinema general manager. Uh, we work for the Picture House Cinema chain. Uh, I'm down in Exeter. Yay. And uh, Mr. Mercer's over there in Greenwich in London, in the big shiny, shiny city. And uh, yeah, so we, we just decided we wanted to talk about films because we love movies. That's what yep, we did. Yeah, good enough. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm glad to say as we're recording, um, well, the cinemas are open in the UK and seem to be thriving and... Uh, one thing oh, I think most people who listen to this podcast for more than three episodes know that I'm a big fan of a Pitch House, and in particular, Pitch House Central is my favourite, my favourite baby. Um, one of the best cinemas in the UK. It is obviously yeah. outstanding. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, but I'm closest now to Crouch End Pitch House, and that was when I went to see Tenet there. I was like, this is 
this will do nicely, sir. Thank you. <laughs> my, mine ones are the uh, the South London ones, so the Ritzy, and now mm, my my no, right. local now is the West Norwood one, which is kind oh, of like nice. a very strange building. It's like the old library, and yeah, yeah. Like the, uh, the, the that one's great. So um, the ceiling yes. of the foyer of that is, uh, was used in Clockwork Orange. Oh, I think. Is, it? It's, is it that one? It's screen, yeah, it is. It's screen yeah. one. Oh, two. Well, but it's basically it's a, it's an octagon, and there is actually a plaque outside the screen that says this is where um, uh, Clockwork Orange was uh, filmed, and some of the seats in the auditorium are orange to celebrate that fact. So, yeah. just just something that Picture House does. A bit of fun. A bit of fun with film. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad you're open again. Thank you. So are we. Well, let's let's extend that fun talking about films. We are here talking about Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Uh, this is your choice, Paul. Um, it is. And you you did stress the director's cut. So yeah. can you tell us why you wanted us to watch this and the director's cut in particular? And then we'll have 60 seconds or less to tell us the synopsis. Sure. So uh, I'm old uh, comparatively to everybody else. So uh, I saw this movie uh, when it opened in 1977 uh, in the UK. So, and it, it blew my tiny little mind uh, at the time. And it's a film. It just it just got got in there, and I've I've loved it ever since. And I've seen all the various iterations when the studio insisted they wanted a special edition created uh, to show the inside of the mother mothership at the end, which Spielberg agreed to at the time, but didn't really want to do. Um, but he did it so that they could create this other shot that he wanted to be in his initial release, but couldn't afford to do at the time. So, and then ultimately Spielberg, uh, being the wonderful man that he is, and with the sort of power he wields in Hollywood was able to mm. create his definitive cut, the director's cut. So he got rid of the inside of the mothership shot, which he didn't really want, but did leave in the one shot that he was hoping to do, which is the sequence when they find the huge ship in the middle of the desert. So that that was the additional scene that he wanted to do that he couldn't do. And that, that was retained because uh, in the special edition, they cut out the sequence where he builds the devil's tower in his lounge so all the sequence oh, really? where he throws the, throws the stuff in through the windows you don't see any of that you just see the shot of him in the house once it's once he's created it and all of that preamble uh, is lost and therefore the sequence with his wife leaving was all ditched because they wanted to show the inside of the spaceship so i've seen the various iterations and it's, it's a film that's just struck me at the time and just stuck with me uh and much to mr mercer and mr hammond's chagrin uh richard dreyfus is one of the best screen actors uh that's ever lived and i tend to go on about incessantly and his performance in this movie is is amazing so it's yeah, it's a film that's just stuck with me from a very early age, the concept of it, the scale of it, um, but the intimacy of it as well. And it, for me, yeah, I can just watch and watch and I could probably recite the entire script. And can you tell us the synopsis with its timer starting now? Okay, so this is the story of an electrical engineer who sees his life changed dramatically as a result of an encounter of the first kind with a UFO. Short and sweet, love it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go to let's go to Ben and Helen uh, for their initial thoughts. Helen, how many times have you seen this film, if at all, before this? So, this is a film that I always feel like I've seen it like loads and loads and loads of times, but I think I've only seen it maybe once all the way through. And there's so many things that I really, really love about it. I love like the child acting in this. I think is it Barry, the little kid Barry? Barry? Yeah, yeah, he's great. Like. Spielberg has just got one of those ways with children 
child actors that you just don't really see that often. And the score, the John Williams score is amazing. And all the kind of like motifs of the the music all the way kind of like builds up until like, you know, the, the big music scene. And Roy's first kind of encounter where he's in his truck and how it shifts and moves and that whole experience. And you feel like you're all kind of like inside it. But then there's lots of other things. So you talking about this is how I feel about E.T. And I kind of feel that not having seen this as much as E.T. or having kind of like everything built, my childhood built around kind of E.T. and those experiences. When I watch this, I kind of go, kind of feels a little bit like a prototype E.T. Testing out little things. He's testing out kind of the sci-fi. He's kind of like, this is like the adult interaction with, with aliens type thing. But you know, with E.T., I kind of want to bring it back to the kids because kids are like my thing. And so there's bits like that. And I feel as though I really, 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 really want to love it as much as E.T., but my heart just isn't there. So I really want my heart to feel like it does when you talk about it. But I think it's a little bit long and I'm not sure I'm not sure it's aged as well as maybe some of his other films have. But there's, there's lots that I really, really love about it. And the thought of having seen that in like the 70s would obviously like completely blow your mind in the same way like mine was blown in the 80s when I was like, oh, E.T., like he's real. He must be real. <laughs> what are your thoughts then, Ben? I, I mean, yeah, I'm, I think I'm like in the same bag. I, I've only seen it like once before properly and that was probably on a DVD at, at university. So this was like, I basically it was like the first time I've, I've watched this film. And there are, there are things that work in it 100%. I, I love the classic Spielberg wonder in this. He has such an unreal way to get uh, just wonderment and wondrous uh, stuff happening on the screen, whether it's, you know, Alan Grant in, in Jurassic Park seeing the dinosaurs for the first time or oh. Indy discovering where the tomb is. Like, he's so good at nailing that. And the imagery of the World War II planes and the boat, which, which is interesting to hear, that was a, an additional scene. Seeing that that um, that that's imagery is so iconic. And then just having all the people sort of react to it, going, this is absolutely, um, you know, why is this happening? And they're all getting really excited about it. And then, the, you know, the ending, the spaceships, the design, I mean, it just it has not dated at all it looks flawless the bright geometric shapes of the of the ships flying around the indiana desert just all of that was unreal i loved all of that what i liked less was how they spent the majority of the time essentially following a dad who has has a full-on breakdown and leaves his family to run away with aliens like the, the two narratives of like the MIB government stuff and that just really didn't gel whatsoever. And I can't believe this film is a PG because that moment you talked about where he's having the meltdown outside, sort of Jack Nicholson style in The Shining, like just grabbing all the elements, grabbing the chicken wire, like I, my anxiety levels went through the roof. Like, <laughs> And then his wife leaves him, not surprised, totally justified doing that. Um, and then yes, the the uh, the child abduction scene. That child acting is amazing, but the actual scene where the the child is is abducted by the aliens that, that was terrifying, like ch- properly like uh, scary stuff. So yeah, there's like there's elements in this that really really work, and then the other elements just oh, I don't know. It just feels like a mixed bag, very tonally odd. Dreyfus at some points, or Dreyfus at some points, is almost playing it for laughs, like it's slapstick. I do like his performance, but I think that maybe there was a direction to, you know, go go a bit crazy with it. Um, yeah, a, a very odd film. <laughs> um, this is definitely the second time I've seen this. And it's one of those films that had, it's kind of always built up for me. It's like, oh, this is, you must see this, the alien scene, and this is amazing. And I don't know, I'm sure I saw it after like Jurassic Park and that kind of stuff. And as a kid, I'd seen like dinosaurs come to life. And this for me, when I was maybe 12 or 13, it was just like, <sighs> when we're going to see the aliens, 
um obviously as as a as a as a grown up now I can see the nuances or the less subtle nuances of a, of a man going into the pits of despair um trying to find where his mind was taken that that during that first encounter and similarly with other people and I, I like the this thing of this this kind of um nirvana devil's peak where suddenly people see it on the TV and all kind of drawn towards it some of it's amazing and I, I think I wish I'd just seen it you know, way back when, because I, I think they just think, and I'm not that big a fan of ET, so I'm not on Helen's side of that. She knows this. Sorry. Um, <laughs> I think there's some things that astounding with it. And that generally like this, when he has the first encounter and the car kind of turns around and I love that kind of shit when it's all done in camera and that kind of stuff is brilliant. The camera, even things like the flashlight going off. I really love that, that kind of scene and the Cotopaxi and where have they been? And then when it can, when they reunite at the end, those, those lost pilots beautiful but for some reason it just doesn't really it just doesn't really kind of gel with me um and i, I don't know why i don't know why maybe just because i was bored that first time and i think it's sometimes the first time you watch something kind of colors your experience so it doesn't it's going forward how old are you uh, paul when you first saw it then uh when i thought i was eight okay uh, when i when i first saw it in uh 77 so yeah it's I know it's difficult. It's I, I understand what you're saying about not necessarily understanding the motivations of Roy Neary, the Richard Dreyfuss character, because it, it's I read in, a, in an article Spielberg said that it possibly when he got to the point of doing ET, it, it, he wasn't a, he wasn't the family man before he went to do ET, and he said if he was remaking Close Encounters now, the script would have been different because ultimately he, he leaves his family and the planet, you know, mm. he, he, he's, he happily sees, leaves them behind. And he, he probably wouldn't make that film now in the same way because he's a family man and his sensibilities are very different. So that's, it's quite interesting. I think that that sort of jumps out for you. And I think you're, you're right, Kobe, with, so sometimes it is the first watch that as it ingrains in you a perception of it if you were to watch it again. And I think because I loved it at that time, I think that's why it stayed with me. I don't know, there's, there's just a, there's some just really stupid little moments in it that, that are wonderful. There's a there's a tiny it's a tiny little shot and it's a it's a nod to his his mate George Lucas uh when the mothership first appears and there's a close up shot of it just beginning to rise up very close up shot and you see a very small portion of the ship as it starts to go over Devil's Tower. Uh, and there's an R2 D2 upside so down. Uh, on the on the ship uh, as a little nod to him, but Spielberg did, Spielberg did very well out of the movie because uh, he and George Lucas had a bet, basically against their own films, where they would give two and a half percent of the profits of each of their films to each other, whichever mm. one grossed the most. And George Lucas came up with this tiny little film called Star Wars um, that he bought out that he bet against, and uh, obviously Spielberg cashed in quite significantly as a result with the amount of money that that film made. That's good. They need more money. That's great. Good for them. <laughs> this was back. This is back in '77. I find that period of film history like brilliant because Spielberg had come out with Jaws, which he was shitting himself about. Um, Lucas had come was absolutely bricking himself about Star Wars, and Star Wars was going nowhere until John, until Luke, until um, Spielberg said, "Hey, you, you, John Williams is good. Is a great yeah. um, composer," and that's the kind of thing that brings it all together. So I love the fact that these guys, along, along with Francis Ford Coppola as well, and Another guy I can't remember. Um, they were just band, they were just friends together, and they made these ridiculous films. But I think for me, it's like seeing Jaws for the first time versus seeing this for the first time. You know, hands down, it's like Jaws is for me the film that grabs my attention. Yeah. And 
Yeah, Jaws was my favourite film of all time. So, uh, yeah, I get that, yeah. (laughs) It'd be interesting to see, it's just as a concept thing, because Richard Dreyfuss wasn't the original choice for Roy Neary. Is he ever the original choice? I don't know. It seems to be the the list of of names that apparently were approached for Steve McQueen was the first person that was approached uh, to play the character. But But he turned it down because he said he couldn't cry on screen. And he thought this character needed to be able to cry on screen. So that's why he turned it down. Uh, apparently, they offered it to Dustin Hoffman, Al Pacino, Jack Nicholson, Gene Hackman, and James Kahn before they got to Richard Dreyfus. So, how much different film that would have been? Uh, and apparently, a young Meryl Streep, just out of drama school, auditioned for the part of Ronnie um, near his wife. But obviously, it ultimately went to Terry Garr. Uh, this is before mm. Meryl Streep was a name. So, how different a film would that have been with Al Pacino giving it his hoo uh, on, sc- <laughs> on screen at the Aliens it's, it's that came out. Interesting. I think he's a perfect choice because this film, for me, feels the most like Spielberg on screen. Like I think um, Roy Neary is the closest to Spielberg putting himself on screen and kind of he looks and kind of how he feels and like the, you know, the whole story was inspired by like his parents like waking him up at night and driving him to this meteor shower. And I kind of think that this is how Spielberg in the 70s before he kind of had to rein in his visions a little bit and had been burnt a little bit by um, certain projects. I, f- I feel as this is how he would have reacted to the aliens and the whole thing about leaving your family to go and like off on a spaceship is something I feel like Spielberg would have done then at that age that he was making yeah. kind of the films having yeah. like read stuff about him. It feels very much like that mm. in that. Yeah, and it's very but there's the Pinocchio motif that runs through uh, the film and uh, the When You Wish Upon a Star song, which John Williams brilliantly weaves into his music during certainly during the end credits. Um, and it, I think you're right. It's Spielberg was, yeah, he was a guy that was would wish on a star. He he was that type of guy back uh, back then, definitely. Yeah. What do you guys make of um, Barry's mum's and and her storyline in there? Because for me, there's a clear kind of distinction. Both driven. For separate reasons, she's. I don't think if Barry hadn't been abducted, I think she would have probably stayed at home. Whereas he was kind of no. This there's this single single mindedness to him, which yeah, I can see being kind of off-putting. He was he was running away from his family, and she was mm. running back to her family, even though it was just obviously only her son. So yeah, there was there's that that just juxtaposition, and but she you know she had no intention of doing anything other than getting her son back. Yeah. He seemed to be doing the complete opposite; that he was able to break that tether and commit to doing something completely different and i like that that juxtaposition the whole sequence of them going climbing up devil's rock was very weird culminating in their kiss which i think was very misjudged and the character <laughs> a character just dies sort of red shirt style just to prove how serious the situation is and they don't even go oh johnny's gone oh well come on let's carry on um very, yeah very odd do you think he was in a loveless doomed relationship before the aliens made him want to leave it or do you think the aliens are entirely responsible for breaking up the the marital bliss? Or although it wasn't marital bliss, it looked like a hellhole. Yeah. Kids were just yeah. chucking stuff around. Classic Spielberg dysfunctional family. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. But why definitely. does it why does it work in ET, but it didn't work in this? I think he just got years of experience in terms of his life experience had changed. So when it came to to ET, he was a more consummate filmmaker, storyteller, and human being i think it was just he's just had those years to develop you know if he was filming in what it would have been 75 76 for a 77 release was it et 82 1982 i think yes. something yes. like that yeah. so yeah so you know you've got you know several several years of life experience to to draw on to develop as a professional and as a human being and i think that's 
that's where it shows it started to show um is there anything else we want to say guys before heading to scores the child abduction um which if you've ever seen poltergeist which spielberg was, was a producer on it, i think or yeah. original yeah. idea yeah. a lot of that um kind of pops up with that which poltergeist i think i've seen a lot more and probably perhaps before this so in in my head it was quite confusing watching the the, the kind of like the the abduction and kind of like the house thing and going this isn't poltergeist. Stop thinking it's poltergeist. Like <laughs> this is different. Not the TV. He's going somewhere else. Something. Is it, scar- is it scary as poltergeist then, Helen? I guess. Yeah, possibly. It's it's that same kind of sinister thing, isn't it? Especially when she's trying to pull him back uh, mm. as he's being dragged. It's 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 yeah. pretty terrifying. Um, which he also does quite well. Like child peril is one of his yeah. also tick box. Yes, child peril. Um, is is a good thing, but um, the sound design on that sequence is incredible yeah, as well. It's so loud, so loud, and it just yeah, just a cacophony of sound and different colours on screen. It's yeah, terrifying. completely disorientating. Yeah, um, I will say this: I do love how deeply uncynical the film is. Like this was made at the height of the Cold War, and there isn't a whiff of from the American government that these might be naughty aliens, like the ones in Independence Day, and they're going to go around and smash up monuments, like. They're fully on board. Like, these guys are good. Even though they couldn't communicate with them, somehow they knew they were going to do a wife swap with all those astronauts. But <laughs> but I do like that they were just like, no, these aliens, they're good. They're the good aliens. Not like the bad ones from Attack the Block. <laughs> that's that's um, Spielberg, I, isn't that, really? I did ask about um, director's cuts and, and alternate versions of films. Do you have any particular preferences do you need to watch direct do you need to watch certain versions of certain films or are you just like which you'll you'll take whichever one as it comes and so with regard to close encounters i think the original cut or the director's cut i mean there's only the addition of the one scene that's in there so it's not going to change your viewing experience of it but blade runner is the perfect example of a myriad of cuts uh, again i'm old enough uh, that i saw the original theatrical cut when it came out in the cinema and have seen all the the different versions uh, of it. And again, it's the director's cut that is the better one when the, the directors have been allowed the opportunity to put out the vision that they initially wanted without sort of the uh, intrusion of the meddling by the studio. And uh, yeah, so director's cuts, they will always pique my interest. And, and in my experience, they're, yeah, in, in the main, tend to be the better version. Terminator 2, Aliens, Extended Ones. Yeah. Like, yeah. The originals are great, but the the kind of the couple of extra scenes in it just add that little bit more. Yeah. Mm. I'm going to mention the Snyder cut here as a not uh, a big fan yeah. of either of them, but um the Snyder cut I thought made sense. Uh just generally. I'm going to I'm going to be the voice of contrarianism here and say that not all studio interference is necessarily a bad thing. Case in point, the Irishman, which was far too long. Richard Kelly's cut of Donnie Darko is not as good as the theatrical cut of that film so I don't know it's not always like a clear-cut thing but yes I, I suppose in general the director's cuts tend to be the the more cohesive uh, vision yeah I think it's it's, it's 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 an interesting thing I think different films people say x certain cut is better than the other and like I say not necessarily the director's cut I've yet to seen the the director's cut of Donnie Darko because everyone says it just kind of removes the ambi- uh, the ambiguity from everything um, but for that reason, I do need to find it. But also, I'm one of those people who really can't be bothered to see the difference. It's just kind of whichever one's available to me at the time. I go, yeah, I'll watch that one. That's fine. Because um, I'm still generally seeing like 90% of the film. 
Apart from, I think, the Snyder Cut, which is vastly different to, to others. Should we head to the scores? Hello, folks. I'm Sam. And I'm Martin. And every week for the last five years, we've got together to talk about the musician Tom Waits. He's a gravelly voice singer that sounded like he doused his vocal cords in bourbon and set fire to them with a cigarette <laughs> and wrote such classic songs as Way Down in the Hole, Downtown Train, Jersey Girl. Uh, he's also the gravelly voiced actor from films such as The Ballad of Buster Scruggs and Seven Psychopaths, both of which coincidentally are on Netflix and both of which Kobe and Helen have discussed here on Flixwatcher. So make sure you check those episodes out. And when you have a little bit of a taste for the magic that is Tom Waits, why not head over to songbysongpodcast.com or search for Song by Song in your podcatcher of choice to listen to a little bit more about Tom Waits. Welcome to the Spreadsheets of Dreams, where the Flixwatcher scores are housed in a secure unit to protect them from uh, any wrongdoing and they're as always out of five and uh, we'll start with you please Paul with your recommendability. Unsurprisingly uh, I'm going to go for a five uh, just because I, <laughs> I adore this film and I would it, it was one that immediately jumped to mind when you guys very kindly inv- uh, invited us to uh, to guest on your fantastic pod um, because I really love sharing this film with people so if you have five. Ben? I mean, I would recommend people see it because there is some iconic imagery in this film that I think it's important to see. And certainly in the context of Spielberg's earlier work, and if you're a fan of Spielberg, then it is something you should tick off the list. So it's a four out of five for me. Helen? Yeah, it's an interesting one. There's so much going for it and there's so much in it that has kind of inspired so much film that comes after it like there's obvious influence on arrival i mean you've probably seen like bits of it through the simpsons there's a famous simpsons episode the clown school where he makes mashed potato clown thingy so there's things that (laughs) and you know you've heard the tune and everything and if you're kind of like thinking oh sort of maybe seen it not really sure i would say it is worth revisiting it's not my favorite but i think it's 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 an interesting piece in kind of like the Spielberg canon and you kind of have to see it to kind of appreciate where he's kind of gone with it so I'm going to give it a four but sort of saying you know there are bits of it that probably don't work but if you've never seen it then you, you do have to see it yeah I'm going to give 3.8 I think you, you should watch if, you, if you're interested in film generally you should absolutely see it but I think compared to other things that Spielberg's done for myself and if you watch it for the first time with one eyes then it might seem a bit tame or heartless or something there that's that kind of um, doesn't re- might not resonate. Well, this, this is my experience, um, so mm. that's how I think. Uh, <laughs> that's how I think. <laughs> it's just lacking. It's just lacking momentum. It doesn't have the same momentum and pace as Jules. Mm. I think that it just doesn't. It yeah. Repeat viewing score, Paul. <laughs> well, if, I genuinely could recite this script from start to finish i've seen it that many times <laughs> so i whilst i you know it's, it's your own film so and i i don't want to come across as a complete ass about it but i'm gonna have to say five for me because because of genuinely the i i couldn't tell you i mean it's it's countless countless times i've seen this i mean it must be it's in the in the tens possibly into you know closing on a hundred times i've viewed this film but again, as I said, I'm very old uh, and got to see it when it originally came out. So it has to be a five. Yeah, no need to apologise for seeing, seeing a film many times. Um, that's why it's all good, Ben. 
I think it would be a three. I think I probably will forget. Um, I'm losing my mind and memory as I get older. And I probably will forget that I probably didn't have an amazing time the first time I watched it. I'd be like, do you know what? I should give another go. Close encounters. So, um, yeah, three out of five. Helen? Yeah, I'm the same. I'm going to go for a three as well. I mean, it's a long gun. You know, two hours, two hours, 20, 20 minutes-ish is, is quite long, even by Spielberg standards. So it's not going to be a regular one. But, yeah, I, I probably would watch it again. Not in a rush, but there are occasions which I'll mention in the next score where I probably would watch it. Yeah, I'm going to go for two and a half, two point five here. Um, I think I need I need to probably read a bit more about the the film and everything and and understand the story before I go back in there again because I think maybe maybe part of it's just me not getting the the subtext, um, or maybe I'm getting the subtext and just thinking nah. Um, <laughs> but I think I'd probably need to read more about it and understand it more before going back in there. Small screen score, Paul. So uh, for this one, obviously, it it is a film that definitely works much better on the big screen. Uh, I can say that clearly, particularly the the introduction of the mothership and the reveal of that at the end. I mean, it, it loses a lot on uh, on a TV screen, no matter how big your TV is. Mm. So, you know, I, I think I'd probably say a, a, a three. I think the for me, the human story works um and so that works very well on a small screen but it, it loses that spectacle particularly when to get to the grand reveal at the end so yeah three ben i'm going for a one this has to be seen in a cinema and um i'm really sorry to i think you had daryl on from the is paul dano okay podcast yeah. where he said he went to a cinema where there's they had their balls and feet out i don't know what cinemas is going to but that's not a thing <laughs> <laughs> yeah they <laughs> definitely not <laughs> not, not a pitched house thing I, i'd certainly uh <laughs> i certainly put a stop to that on my usher check um yeah you have to see this on the cinema and those elements the bits where the ship starts to appear over devil's rock i mean astounding so yeah you have to see this in the cinema uh the small screen just i don't know i, I i've yeah i've got a good sized tv i just didn't i didn't, it was good but I, i'd love to see this in the cinema helen yeah say same i think i'll give it a two um I think if I was to watch this again, it would be at a cinema. Um, maybe not so much for the picture, but the the shared experience and the sound as well. I think the sound it would be would cover up a lot of the things that I, f- I find a little bit iffy, um, just because I just really love the score and felt that that connected a bit more with me than sometimes what what I was watching. So yeah, if I was to repeat view again i would want to see a, a cinema or a big screen or an experience so was it two yeah yeah i'm going 1.5 it's i think if i watch it again it has to be at the cinema and i'd like it to be like a like a steven spielberg retrospective not necessarily retrospective that can kind of implies he's, once he's passed away but just uh <laughs> going back and picking his best films um because there's so many of his films i haven't seen in cinema and films i have seen like only once at Jurassic Park. And I think if there's other ones that they were showing, I'd definitely go and watch this as well. Yeah. Uh, but I don't, I can't see myself watching it at home on my TV screens or through to iPad. Um, I think you never know, Spielberg might end up being part of our Picture House Rediscover series. Ah. Uh, it, may, it may end up turning up on that. You never know. Is that, that's something you're going to champion, is it? Lot, why not? Yeah, lots of films Spielberg in this season, catalogue that I'd want to revisit yeah. Yeah, on the big screen. Um, engagement score, Paul. 
Well, I, 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 the, the, just, it has to be, I have to say five, but I, I can't have uh, sort of waxed rhapsodic about this film and then then score it down from there. I genuinely love this film. And uh, I, I'm from the moment it starts to the moment it finishes, uh, I'm 100% there. So it has to be, it has to be five for me. Has to be. Three, yeah, three out of five. I was intrigued while watching it, but Helen's absolutely right. It's too long. And as we were saying earlier on, the pace is, is just off. So yeah, three, three out of five. Yeah. Helen. Yeah, I'm, I'm a three as well. I actually had to watch it twice because the first time I tried to watch it, I ended up having a little bit of a snooze. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, kind of like watching it and I was like, pretty sure something's going to happen soon. And then I woke up and they were kind of like on Devil's Tower. I was like, oh, I'm not sure how much I've missed, but <laughs> something's happening now. So um, yeah, I can't really give it that much higher than a three. Yeah, I'll go for three as well. <laughs> um, so good sound. things like this, I feel I feel I need to apologise to the person who shares. You know what? So the great thing about the arts is that it's completely subjective, and that's what's wonderful about the arts. Yes, you can be sitting next to somebody who's hating something whilst you're absolutely loving it, and that's the beauty of the arts, whatever that is, whether it's film, sculpture, paintings, whatever. And so there's not never anything to apologise for. Um, I did resonate. I think just with me being older, did resonate um, Roy's story this more this time more. Um, I think. Yeah, it just didn't. I think I was playing on on my phone quite a lot uh, during this, so I can't give it a higher score. That gives us uh, an overall score of three point two three seven five zero, which is probably lower than I thought it would be. I thought there'd be more more champions over here. Um, Let down by the small screen yeah. score, yeah, not not the for thing. the small screen. Yeah, I think that's the biggest that's the biggest uh, drop in points there. Yeah, I'm ha- happy uh, with over three. three. <laughs> to be fair, I think any, a lot of film, a lot of Spielberg's films would not do well on a on a small screen. I can't remember what George scored. We'll find out. But yes, Paul, Ben, thank you so much for joining us. It's been an absolute pleasure, uh, and thanks for bringing Close Encounters because I, I don't, I'm not sure if I would have watched it if you hadn't chosen it. And that's part of why we do this podcast is to get myself and Helen out of our comfort zones and watch <laughs> these films. Remind everyone where we can find you online, where your podcast is, the name of your podcast, and say goodbye to all of the listeners. Sure. Okay. So yeah, so our podcast is Have You Seen This? Uh, Seen is S-C-E-N-E. You can find it anywhere where you get your podcasts. Uh, You can find us on Twitter at SeenThis underscore pod. On Facebook and Insta, you can find us at SeenThisPod. And if you want to drop us an email, SeenThisPod at gmail.com. Uh, yeah, likewise, Paul. I thank you so much for recommending Close Encounters of the Fair Kind, even though we got it wrong. Um, it was good to, <laughs> to catch up that classic. Um, yeah, thank you so much, guys. This has been absolutely amazing. Yeah. Bye. Bye. Enjoyed this episode of Flix Watcher Podcast? Why not leave us a five star review on iTunes? You can also follow us at Flix Watcher Pod on Twitter, and we're at Flix Watcher on Instagram. Thanks as always to the mighty people for their mighty, mighty tunes and Ben from Rockwood Audio for his awesome editing skills. If you're looking to get your podcast edited as sweet as this, get in touch with Ben and that's Rockwood, R-O-K-K Wood Audio. Tell them Flixwatcher sent you. just heard a stripped media production.